And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. The Stanley Cup Finals appear to be over in Game 5, but Corey Perry made sure that we would have at least a Game 6, thanks to a huge goal in double overtime. Can the Dallas Stars turn the tide and complete a massive comeback? Well, before we get to that, the final five NHL awards have been unveiled. Episode 238 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. By the time you hear this, Game 6 will have already happened or is about to happen in a couple hours because uh, this will be released on Monday. We're recording on Sunday um, and we're going to talk about that. But um, since the last recording, Brett, we find out um, the five remaining award winners and uh, a little bit of a debate for the Hart Trophy, depending on who you ask. Safe to say? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think, well, when we were doing our whole predictions episode of who's going to get the awards. I think we pretty much predicted all these uh, correctly. Um, so it's, it wasn't, there wasn't too many surprises. Um, but yeah, I think there was a bit of a debate um, once they were announced because I think what, what added to the debate was the fact that like we could see what the what the voters voted for like we could see each ballot and and stuff like that and i don't think that was the case in previous years um so that made it a little bit interesting where like now i can see like oh tristan jari got a fifth place vote for the heart trophy for some reason (laughs) which i'm just thinking uh i would really love to know who voted for him because like Tristan Cherry had a good year, but was he the league MVP? Right, right, right. Come on. And um, so that that was <laughs> that was just the funny. I mean, I know it's like a fifth place vote, so like maybe that the thought was it's just they wanted recognition for um, for it, but like Tristan Jari was. I could see the Vesna, but like the yeah. Hart Trophy dude. Yeah, I know it. It, it make that didn't make sense. Um, so yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah, well, actually, Tristan Jari had a one third place vote in the Vezina, uh, so that's also kind of funny. Um, so, yeah, so we're gonna start off with uh, the Hart Trophy because that's the that's the the big one. Um, Drysaddle won. Um, he also won the Ted Lindsay Award, which was voted on by the players. So, both uh, both the media and uh, the players think that Drysaddle was the best player. Uh, Panarin finished second, and McKinnon finished third. Um, kind of a little bit interesting is Pasternak finished fourth, so that that's great, and um, I was hoping for that. Um, yeah, ahead of McDavid. McDavid finished fifth in vote. Yeah, yeah. McDavid finished fifth, which was interesting because usually when you, like, you know, if you're going to vote, Drysidal first, fine, that makes sense, he had a great year, but, like, you can't also vote for uh, McDavid, because then that whole, defeats the whole purpose, because it's like... Yeah, McDavid only got a single first place vote, that's it. But, like, but my point is, is, like, the the Hart Trophy should be the most valuable player, so, like, you're taking into account, like, if you take... um, if you if like Drysaddle didn't play for the Edmonton Oilers, he didn't exist at all. Would the like how would the Edmonton Oilers 
be without him. And you'd be like, okay, well, they have Connor McDavid, but then, you you know, you vote him fifth. That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I know McDavid is fit. Like, he, he's the best. He's still better than Dreisaitl. So I understand that. But, like, still just the fact that two teammates were fifth, um, were one in five in the voting doesn't make sense to me. Because um, then it just implies that, like, without Dreisaitl, like, the Edmonton Oilers would still be good, <laughs> and it just does, so it's like, uh, it's a weird, or, like, maybe even, like, putting McDavid second, I can understand that, too, but then it's like, well, the Oilers had the second best, the two best players in the league, um, yeah, that moment the, when your second best player yeah. is top five in NBA, but, like, I, I guess I was, like, like, a couple of podcasts that I listened to that are hockey-related, they were mentioning how, like, Back in the day when Gretzky won all those things, like there weren't really votes for Messier or yep. Curry or you know um, any of those great Oilers who were also Paul there. Coffee, probably Coffee yeah, as another one. Although Coffee won a lot of Norris's, I feel like so. Yeah, that, that yeah. was probably his for That was his domain. Right, right. So, um, so that's like so that is a good point, but it's still like you know I I, I and also like. Pasternak got fourth, Marshawn got ninth, which just could be like a similar debate too, which is a little strange to me as well. And so that's proof that I'm not a homer. <laughs> yeah, and Connor Hellebuck, like, mm. hats off to Connor Hellebuck. He finished, I think, sixth in MVP voting. Yep, sixth. It's not, not too often, um, at least in my memory, where you see a goaltender finish that high in MVP voting. Yeah, so, yeah, I was about to get to that. Hellebuck got six in voting, um, which is impressive, but, like, he won the Vezina pretty handily, which we'll get into. Yeah, like, yeah. let's get this out of the way. I think we can all agree the Vezina, there was no contest. Yeah, and yeah. if he didn't win it, it would be a highway robbery. Right, right. So, that makes sense. Uh, Yossi gets uh, seventh. I'm just going to finish the top ten here. Uh, Jack Eichel gets eight. Marshawn gets nine, as I mentioned. Um, and then, uh, uh, James, you... and, and, oh, just to finish the top ten here, Malkin and Matthews oh. get tenth, uh, the the last uh, tenth place here. So, um, yeah. What, what were you saying? Oh, uh, it was it, it was just it was just something like I I know Matthews had a great year. Um, I guess. Being that near um, the top ten for the Hart Trophy kind of makes sense, but um, yeah, there there are some other names that I I felt uh, should have gotten uh, some more votes. I, I I feel like Hellebuck deserved a little bit more credit, but I I guess you know with McDavid at five, I I can definitely understand why Hellebuck's in the top five. Like, um, yeah, Pasternak though at four kind of surprised me. Like I know he had a good year. Um, but in terms of like an all around more complete season, um, I, I don't know if they're, pa- Pasternak's a bit of an odd one, I must say. Um, well, I think, well, first off, uh, I, mean, I know he, I know he scored a lot of goals and that's, and that's great, but Alex Ovechkin scored a lot of goals too. And he was, well, he, he didn't even get nearly as many votes as Pasternak did for this award. Yeah, I guess that's a fair point, considering that Pasternak and Ovechkin shared the the title, like the Rocket Richard. But I will say, on in defense of Pasternak, 
he well first off he plays really good defense too he doesn't really get that much credit for it just because Marshawn and uh Bergeron are also there um so he plays good defense and also like the fact that he was in the scoring league like he was either one or two the entire season um unlike Ovechkin where he really just picked up towards the end there um so I think I think that was a big part of it is that like like yeah he scored a lot of goals and um but I think like without that he wouldn't have been in this place uh to um like he wouldn't be fourth um in voting otherwise I'm more surprised that Marshawn got in the ninth spot because um, because, like, I felt like Pasternak was going to get most of the votes for the Bruins, but, um, I mean, I, I, I'll take it, but, uh, the, the, I, I was more surprised that, uh, that Marshawn was there just because, like, I think, usually speaking, we think of, um, the, you know, like, that there's, like, again, it goes back to the Dreisaitl and, uh, Tavares, uh, the Dreisaitl and McDavid argument is like you're having two teammates so if you don't have Pasternak you still have Marshawn kind of thing so that's where it gets a little bit um, odd to me but um, yeah at the same time I guess it's I mean as I was saying I, I, th- I think the the factor of the f- that like Pasternak was um, like the goal leader from wire to wire um, it's pretty much why he he was over uh, Matthews and um, dry um, and, and uh, Ovechkin, um, even though they uh, they both were pretty close at goals at the end of the season. True, because I feel like that doesn't always happen. Yeah. And in fact, uh, I I I can't remember too many times in, in all my years watching hockey where Pasternak was like. I wouldn't say undisputed goals leader, but like led the league in goals for like a considerable uh, majority portion of the season, like in consecutive stretches too. And he, uh, his ability to score the game's first goal as well. Like, yeah. He did that, I think, at least a dozen times, which is crazy to do in a single season to have like 12, 13, 14, however many icebreakers in a season. Um, that that's pretty incredible too. I'm not sure what the record is, but I would imagine uh, he'd be pretty close to it if he did break it. Um, right. And for all we know, he probably did. Um, it, it doesn't shock me overall that Troy Settle won the award simply because under the similar circumstances, Kucherov won it last year. And by similar circumstances, I mean great regular season, come playoff time, didn't perform. Well, or sorry, his team didn't perform. Uh, Dreisaitl, Dreisaitl, I would say, delivered. Like, he was pretty good in the Blackhawks series. And, like, yeah. the big names for Edmonton were getting it done. And for whatever reason, uh, they they just couldn't win enough one-goal games. And uh, Chicago was able to beat him out in, in, yeah. uh, in a series that only lasted four of a possible five games. Right. Um, well... But, but even still, Nikita Kucherov had a memorable regular season, and even though his team got swept by Columbus, he still won both the Players' Choice for MVP and the Media's Choice for MVP. So while I think McKinnon was more deserving, I can understand why Dreisaitl still won. 
Well, I made that argument too, and also uh, the playoffs um, were like this was voted on before the playoffs even happened, so uh, you, you can't really take that into account. And it's like you, I made this argument when I was uh, telling you this um, during our predictions episodes, like. Dry said, like, I mean, I know points aren't everything, and we'll get to uh, the one guy who didn't even have Dry on his ballot, but, um, like, the fact that he had 110 points, and the next closest guy is, had 97 points, um, so that's like a 13 point difference, um, is pretty incredible, um, and, and like if like obviously if you get into advanced stats then yeah I, I can see why his like defense may not be up to snuff or whatever but like the factor that like he was able to um to do all that is like um incredible um like 110 points in 71 games that fact alone is is uh is unheard of um yeah, so and, and imagine if he would have kept going he probably could have equaled or surpassed Kudrov's total from last year yeah so we're going to get it uh so now there's like uh speaking of which and i just talked about it but uh there's this uh athletic guy who writes for the athletic his name is dom lucisians um i believe that's how you pronounce his name um and probably, probably a better attempt than i could ever uh, okay uh, but anyways, he's the uh, he writes for the Athletic. Um, he mostly write he's he's big into the advanced stats community. Um, he's like every single article references stats like that, and um, he had an article uh, just recently about why he left uh, Drysital, Couturier, and uh, Carlson off his NHL awards ballot. Um, and uh, he, had, he had pretty much a good reasoning for the Selkie, um, where he was, like, for the Selkie, he was thinking that, like, he, he took the, the award literally, that it's, like, the best defensive forward, not the best two-way forward, which is what it comes to know now. Um, the Norris one isn't that much of a shocker, consider he just felt like there were five defensemen better than Carlson, and he doesn't think that offense is the overwhelming factor in defense and he had Yossi who ended up winning anyways um first in his ballot um and then uh and then he, he gets into dry settle which um actually sparks some controversy because a couple of Edmonton guys were like just furious because they couldn't understand why you even like they could understand leaving him at fifth but like not even like doing that is, is, is absurd to him. So anyways, he, he came, he found this, um, there's this, uh, this stat model called GSVA, which is essentially like wins above replacement, um, for hockey. Um, if you are aware of baseball, this, like th that stat is taking over the, the baseball stats community, a full force where like everyone's talking about your war rating and stuff. So this is like uh, the equivalent like, of that. How many games could your team win if you weren't on it? Basically, yeah. Like if you're, how many wins? Like if you just take a an average player instead of um, that person, like how many wins would you uh, lose if 
if that player um, if that player was gone from your team. Right, and I guess so, the I guess the lower the number, the better it looks on the player, right? No, no, no. So it's actually taken by win, like it's by win. So the more you have, the less the 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 more you have, the better you are as a player. Um, oh, okay. So so on this list, he has, um, he has Hellebuck actually wins uh, this this award um, or this stat with uh, four point six three wins. Then there's uh, Panarin and McKinnon tie for second with 4.13 wins. Uh, Pasternak comes in fourth uh, with 4.11 wins. Um, Brad Marchand which, which is kind of funny because you have Bergeron and Marchand and Brask on that team. Yeah. Well, that, that B- Brad Marchand gets 3.97 wins, so he comes in se- uh, fifth. Um, and then uh, Austin Matthews has 3.92 wins. And Leon Dreisel has 3.62 wins. Um, and so what he actually ended up doing was, even though Hellebuck was first, uh, Panarin and McKinnon, um, he puts Panarin and McKinnon ahead of Hellebuck. I think he put, oh yeah, he put Panarin ahead of McKinnon. <clears throat> um, I guess probably because Panarin gets credit for being on the Rangers, and, you know, the Rangers are a worse team than the, the Avalanche are. Um, and um, and then he, uh, so then he puts Pasternak th- uh, th- fourth, um, and then he leaves off Brad Marchand, because I guess, like me, I was think he was thinking that, like, he doesn't like the idea of having two teammates on, on your ballot, so, uh, so he just left off Brad Marchand. Um, and then... That or, he doesn't, or that or he doesn't like Brad Marchand, period. That's possible, too, but, I, I mean, I, I think he, he seems to be the kind of guy who takes stats literally just by the fact that of how he voted yeah. the Selkie. Um, so so I think uh, so I think there's that. But, um, uh, but yeah, it, it's definitely possible when, you know, for, for Brad Marchand. Anyways, uh, so then, uh, because Austin Matthews... I guess had 3.92 wins. Leon Drysdale had 3.62 wins, and then he goes on to the fact that like Drysdale actually had less. Um, his defensive game um, wasn't like was abominable. Like it wasn't even average. It was just bad. Whereas Matthews has um, Drysdale beat just on that factor. Um, he says. Here and I, I think I sent this to you here, um, but I'll I'll quote it here. With Drysdale on the ice, the Oilers scored 0.34 more goals per 60 than the Leafs with Matthews on the ice. The issue is they also allowed nearly one more goal against, which is a massive problem. The Leafs earned 58.7% of the goals with Matthews on the ice, while the Oilers were at a 52.8% with Drysdale. By expected goals, the gap was just as large with Matthews at 55.7% and Drysdale at 48.7%, with the difference again coming mostly on defense. Um, with the Oilers allowing 2.92 expected goals against per 60 with Drysdale on the ice, it's hard to ascribe his weak goals against numbers to bad goalie left. They bleed chances against with him on the ice. Among forwards, the 2.92 mark was the 13th worst in the league. I would guess that it's 
probably a lot easier to score a lot of points when a player is less committed to the defensive side of the game. That was probably by design in Edmonton given the team has two all-world offensive talents, but given the smaller edge in terms of goal share, I'm not sure it's working as well as it could. So so basically his point is is that Drysaddle, um, because the Oilers were worse on defense than Toronto was, um, and Drysaddle didn't do much on the defensive side of things compared to what Matthews does, um, he gave the edge to Matthews. It's kind of also funny because he said in the original article that he knew he was going to get heat for this, but especially since he is from uh, Toronto. Um, so um, so that's like, and he is a Leafs fan. But it, like, so it's like he makes a good point, and I, I think that's a big reason why these are all public. And, you know, like I don't want to say like everyone has to vote for Dreisaitl first overall. Like you didn't even have Dreisaitl first. So I understand that. Um, and he makes a good point. However... Like, the fact that Drysaddle, like, without Drysaddle, like, the Oilers would probably be a, another lottery team or just, like, a fringe playoff team just because they have McDavid on it. So, like, like just the fact that you're focusing, he's focusing so much on, like, the advanced statistics to decide his vote um, is kind of a little bit crazy, but... I mean, at the I have to give him kudos though for explaining why he he left Drysaddle in a reasonable a way of doing it. Um, so it's a, I, I don't know it's, it's interesting to have like a, another perspective on the, on this kind of thing. I think it's a breath of fresh air, and I think you have to have a reasonable explanation at the right. ready because <laughs> you course. know you're you're probably going to get the words of hockey fans coming after. And he did, like, yeah. This is an abomination. And he did, basically, yeah. Yeah, and the one thing that should probably be emphasized about Dreisa, I remember vividly in November, December, he was pretty frustrated with, like, his overall play. His plus-minus wasn't very good. So I'm wondering how much of those stats were based on his first-half struggles. Because in the second half, he got better and really took the NHL by storm. And during that time when McDavid was out, Playing some of his best hockey, forced, uh, forming a good chemistry with uh, Brian Nugent Hopkins and Kaylor Yamamoto, and that line was doing work in the many weeks that McDavid was away. So that's my counter to it. It's okay. Good point. How much of that was based on the first half when Settle wasn't doing well? Yeah. Because he didn't start off the season like he wanted to, and as the season got better, he got better. Yeah. Overall, I think if you lead the league in scoring by quite a big margin like that and your, and your team makes the playoffs, you should at least be be getting a top five vote on yeah. just about every single ballot. Yeah. And that is and that is where the the shock and awe of it was. It's just like this guy won the Art Ross. How is and and uh, the season before he got like 50 goals and probably could have hit 50 uh, this year as well. How do you leave him off your ballot? Like, not even giving him a fifth fifth place vote. So right. That, that, that is definitely something that shocked me. Uh, in terms of um, the John Carlson stuff, I'm not... It's an interesting argument, and, and I would support that more than I would support um, yeah. 
that this idea but anyway yeah so speaking of which we have uh the the norris here uh yossi wins um oh, finally right. yep uh you did call it i think i had carlson winning but um yeah so you called this one uh Yossi, Carlson, Hedman, uh, both Yossi and Carlson had more than a thousand votes. Everyone else had less than that. Um, Hedman, then uh, Petrangelo, uh, Slavin, which is kind of surprising because he's not really an offensive defenseman. So um, I guess it's he's getting credit for his defensive stuff, which is cool. Uh, Shea Theodore, Dougie Hamilton gets on there, even though he played half the year. Um, Zach Wierenski, Kale McCarr gets ninth. And then to uh, end the top ten here is Charlie McAvoy, um, 14. Um, it kind of like, and then everyone else is kind of like an interesting thing here. Essa Lindell somehow got the third place vote um, on a ballot, which is weird. Um, Muriel Heiskanen which is more, Miro Iskinen didn't even get a third place vote. I mean, obviously this was voted before the playoffs, but um, it's just like, now that you're watching these playoffs, you're like, wait, what? Lindell gets more votes than Miro Iskinen? That doesn't it's make sense. next year. That yeah. change. I know, I know. That, that's a good point, maybe. Like, that might be why Slavin got so many votes this year. Yeah. Um, next year's going to be Miro's Because he got a great party. playoffs, yeah. But you're, you're right, uh, Iskinen will probably get more votes next year. Um, I'll probably take a cup and a con Smythe as yeah. consolation prize. Yeah, Tony D'Angelo also gets five uh, votes. Um, Seth Jones has five five-place votes, even though he uh, he was injured for most of the time there. I'm disappointed. Um, I, I was hoping he would get more. And also, yeah. Sherrod gets a fifth-place vote. Yeah, that, that was interesting. Jonas Brodeen as well. Uh, Jared Spurgeon gets a fifth place vote uh tory krug as well gets a fifth place vote so um i thought provarov was going to get more but um yeah. he only gets two fifth place votes um but yeah i i guess more or less i'm i'm fine with all these results um i'm happy that charlie mcavoy got a lot of stuff especially since like he didn't even get like um his first goal of the year was in january um, so I'm, I'm just glad that they, um, they were, uh, they were, um, people were understanding that like, it's not all about goals, but even still, it's kind of crazy. Um, so I mean, I'll, I'll take it, but, um, yeah. And yeah, you can't go wrong with Jorman Yossi definitely deserves it. And, um, of, of things of that nature. Yeah, and and looking at the first place votes, Yossi had 109, Carlson had 56, so mm -hmm. it was a pretty big spread there. Uh, Carlson uh, had 23 third place votes, 83 second place votes. Um, so in terms of the point spread, uh, he gave Yossi a good run, and the offensive numbers were definitely there. He led all defensemen in scoring, but Roman Yossi had the I think the edge in in terms of playing in all situations, ice time per game, playing minutes on the power play and penalty kill. And if if you look at the plus minus, you know, it's it's neck and neck with Carlson. And just, again, a tale of two teams, as I mentioned um, many weeks ago when we were talking about uh, our award predictions. 
I'm pretty sure I mentioned that Washington was one of those teams where you have Backstrom, you have Ovechkin, you have guys like Jacob Reyna and Tom Wilson that can score goals, and and John Carlson has a lot of guys to dish the puck to and that can finish and can score. Right. You look at Nashville, they underachieved to the hens of the earth, and he was still almost exactly a point per game, the highest point per game uh, plateau his career, and this is the first time he hit 60 points in a couple of years as well, and probably could have hit um, at least 70, maybe 80 points if the season had continued and, and finished in its entirety as well. Um, so I, I just think when I look at the bigger picture, uh, Roman Yossi all the way, and not to take away from anything John Carlson did, he could win a Norris Trophy someday, but this year I'm glad Roman Yossi uh, got the recognition and respect he deserves. Yep. So no complaints there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, Petrangelo finishing fourth in voting might increase his uh, asking price just a little bit. Maybe yeah, an extra million. if it hasn't already, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so uh, Hellebuck gets the Vezina. We we kind of talked about this already, but um, it was, I mean, we already t- mentioned it in the predictions of um, that episode. But um, yeah, Hellebuck deserves it. He was a big like you know for the six defensemen. On Winnipeg left and um, and Hellebuck, I mean, the Jets may not have made the playoffs, but like I mean, it, it's tough. They like, wouldn't even be in striking distance if it wasn't for. Yeah, Hellebuck. exactly. So like they were in, they were in contention on, uh, up until the season had yeah. ended. But and the fact that they had a shot. Yeah. I mean, I know they have a lot of offensive depth, like up front, but yeah. if it wasn't for Hellebuck their offense couldn't hide their weaknesses. They needed Hellebuck to be on his game, and he was. Yeah, and like Neil Pionk, who he was pretty good for them um, this year on defense, but yeah, it's like they need more shutdown guys and things of that nature, and Hellebuck was pretty much the only one there. So yeah, he uh, he deserves all the credit, and, and there was a big reason why he was sixth in the hard trophy voting as well. So uh, good on him there. Um, Tuca gets a second, um, he has 99 points, Vasilevsky gets a third with uh, 31 votes. Um, I thought it was interesting that Merzilkins had a couple of votes, even though he wasn't nominated for the Calder, which we'll get into, um, where he didn't get, like, any, like, he didn't get in the top three in the, in the Calder. Um, and then Leonard gets a second place vote. Markstrom gets a couple of votes as well uh, to end up fourth. Um, Kemper as well. Kemper as well. And Tristan Jari again. He, he had a third place vote. Um, and uh, Jordan Bennington also gets a third place vote. Which is funny because Bennington wasn't even the best goalie on his team this year, but um, teach their own, I guess. It, it makes sense. He had a pretty good year too. Um, yeah, but Bennington got um, 30 wins as Yeah, well, that's so true. I can understand why he would get more votes than Allen based on that. Yeah, I have a Just feeling... Win, right? Yeah, I have a feeling that if Kemper and Markstrom were healthy the whole year, they would have 
made it interesting for Hellebuck. Um, but not to take away anything that Tuga or Vasilevsky did, um, because they were also phenomenal as well. So, mm -hmm. there's that. Um, alright, then we'll go to the Calder here. Um, so, I believe you had Quinn Hughes, I had Kale McCarr. Uh, Kale McCarr ended up winning. Um, and it was, it was like... Uh, Kale McCarr had uh, 116 first place votes Quinn Hughes had 53 f first place votes there was one guy, the only other first place vote on this uh, was Adam Fox um, and he finished fourth, which was yeah, uh, and, interesting and it was just the one yeah, it was and just the one. Every other vote went to McCarr and Hughes. That's how yeah. excited it was between those two. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Fox actually also... I, I think the, the one guy who had Adam Fox first mentioned that he felt that um, the Rangers wouldn't be where they are, like even a playoff team, if if Fox wasn't there or something. He was a tribute. That's why he, he said it first as opposed to... Um, the other things, and, oh, like comparing it to like Truba and, um, because he was a Winnipeg writer, <laughs> so he was like focused in on Truba and he, he realized that Adam Fox had been pretty good in, in um, in New York as opposed to Truba. Well, if, so. if we're going to go down that route, the Rangers really started to get hot when Igor Shizjurkin arrived. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm just for saying, sure. if you're going to give that kind of love to Adam Fox, just, uh, Kind of like throw Igor Shishurkin into the Vesna conversation. Yeah, well, Shishurkin, I don't think he even, yeah, he didn't even get any votes. I guess he's not eligible. Maybe next year, I guess. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. that, that'll change. Yeah. Again, next year could be his going up. Well, that, that was surprising, too, because, so I see, first off, uh, Dominic Kubalik gets third, uh, Fox gets fourth, uh, Merzilkins gets fifth. And then Mackenzie Blackwood gets six, which I didn't even realize he was eligible because I thought technically it's his second year in the league, but I guess he just didn't play enough games last yeah. year games to make it work. So yeah. I guess maybe maybe that's why. Um, but yeah, so he gets a sixth place vote. Um, Victor Olafson gets seventh. John Marino gets eighth. Um, so good good on them. Uh, Nick Suzuki, uh, Ethan Bear. Dennis, Denise Garyanoff, um, Ilya Samsonov, and then Matt Roy gets one fifth place vote, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so so that that's the whole list there. Um, I think it's pretty good. I mean, it was pretty much like fifty, like a drop of the coin if you're going to get Makar or Hughes because both of them had um, historic had historic uh, rookie years. Um, for defensemen, so um, so that's there's that, but um, and you could go either way with it, and so I think there is something to the fact that like Kale McCarr, um, like a lot like the same way that McKinnon got a lot of hard trophy votes, uh, Kale McCarr also like was was pretty good um, with McKinnon there as well, so um, so that that's probably a big reason why uh, McCarr got there and, and I feel like Quinn Hughes took a while to get going whereas Makar was good throughout um, and I think yeah. that's that's a, another big reason why they yeah. did that I mean if you look at the way the ballots were spread out for Kale Makar he had 116 first place votes 54 second place votes 
and that's it. No third, no fourth, no fifth. Every yeah. single vote, uh, every single time he appeared on a ballot, he was either first or second. Right. So that that was clearly um, a, enough separation for him. And to be fair to Quinn Hughes, he had 53 first place, 111 second place, and six third place, and no fourth and fifth. Yep. So like he would like again, it was a neck and neck race. I would I would be fine with either of them taking it, but just with the fact that simply Vancouver, not as great of a team as Colorado, and yet Quinn Hughes still just blew everyone away and just um, was one of the best uh, power play points leaders as well. Um, and both teams had very good power plays, and both defensemen played pretty pivotal roles on those power play units. So again, it a toss of the coin. Like I would, I would be fine giving the award to either of them. Um, so I'm not overly surprised. Um, Kale McCarr won. Just would have been nice to see Quinn Hughes win it. But yeah, yeah. I, I have I have no complaints over that. That was probably that was probably the toughest race to call. Yeah, uh, for sure. Between, between McCarr and Hughes, um, I would say even a bit closer than the Hart Trophy race, even though that one was pretty close too. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I think I think Quinn Hughes will win something uh, eventually, um, mm-hmm. um, and McCarr will will win something eventually too. I guess the only award that you you can win as a defenseman is a uh, a Norris, but I think both of them will uh, will get something at least. But um, and the fact that but they both, both have bright guys- futures. Both of those guys received MVP award nominations, like for top yep. five. Just further exemplifies how good they were this year. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so now we go to the first place uh, and second place team, or the first All Star teams and the second All Star teams and the All Rookie teams. Drysaddle, Panarin, Pasternak, Yossi, Carlson, and Hellebuck are your first All Star team. Um, that's the Pretty pretty nice lineup there. Uh, second place team, you have McKinnon, Marshawn, Kucherov, Hedman, Petrangelo, and Rask. Um, and then your rookie team is Kubalik, Olafson, Suzuki, Quinn Hughes, Makar, and Merzilkins. Um, so that's one where the defense is probably pretty good, better than the offense there, but um, that's neither here nor there. Um, I guess the notable thing is, is that, like, McDavid wasn't even on the on either team. Um, I mean, I guess it may, like you can't really count out Drysdale or McKinnon, and maybe that's why, uh, just because both of them are centers and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, it's, it is kind of crazy that McDavid wasn't even on here. Um, but I, I mean, obviously, it's well deserved for McKinnon and Drysdale there, um, and I'm sure that's like motivation for McDavid. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't really have any complaints on on those guys. Um, yeah. The one thing I have a complaint with is is just how the forwards are structured. Like center, left wing, right wing. I'm just like the whole point of the All Star team is to pick the best player available, not the best player by position per se. So like Nathan McKinnon finished second in hard trophy voting. And he's good enough to make the second All-Star team, but not the first. Like, 
I would think like first place and second place and hard voting should be on the first all-star team. Just go three forwards. None of this left wing, right wing, center bull crap. Just the three best forwards, put them on. That's your first all-star team. The next three forwards or however you go about it, that's your second all-star team. End of story. I, I'm not really... I'm not really a fan of the position stuff. Well, wait, but, but then, like, if you're, if you're doing it by that way, then it's like the, the first place team is just the, the three best forwards on the Hart Trophy. Like, where's the fun of that? <laughs> it's like, yeah. like, it's basically just saying that Pasternak was the best right wing, Panarin was the best left winger, Yossi was the best left-handed defenseman, Carlson was the best... Right-handed defenseman. Actually, I don't know if they consider their right-handed or left-handed for that. Um, and Hellebuck was the best goalie. Drysaddle plays center a lot. I thought that's where you were going. Was that Drysaddle sometimes plays on the wing? Well, but that, well, that's the other. That's the other thing too. Like there, which is again another thing where like the position is is kind of like uh, getting stiff armed uh, there. You know. Um, I so guess that, that's. That that's why I'm I'm kind of hesitant about the left wing, right wing, center stuff. Um, it, it's it's just based on like you're probably getting, you know, someone that should be a first team all star, uh, and you're stiff arming them to the second all star team, which you know it's still a good honor. But I would like I would think after everything Nathan McKinnon and the Avs went through this year, like that's good enough to be a first team all star. Um, right. But I again to your point, Brad. I can see for for that reason why they would go with position. It's just something that kind of irks me when it comes to those all star teams. I just wish they went with the three best forwards in, instead yeah. of instead of the positioning stuff. Yeah, I mean, like you have more that's of that's my own, that's my only gripe about it. Like in terms of like who they selected, I I would say it's fair. I mean, you do have a point that like. You had more of a point if you're saying that Drysaddle sometimes plays on the wing, but to what I would say is that Drysaddle, like, you had that line with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and um, Yamamoto um, where he was centering that line, and that's pretty much where he was. I guess, I forget, I don't know if he actually centers the line when they're on a power play when McDavid's involved, but... I think there is, like, so, like, you could say, theoretically, he may be, like, a right winger, because uh, he sometimes plays on the wing, but I think you could consider him a center as well, so. Um, yeah, that's the other thing, too. Yeah, so, that that you have more of a gripe on, because, like, Drysaddle, you could say that Drysaddle is a winger, um, just so that you can have McKinnon there, but then it's like, you're taking Panarin off, and pa- or Pasternak off just to have McKinnon on there. It doesn't make sense to me. So, yeah. uh, so now we go to the Stanley Cup final recap here, and we'll just get our thoughts real quick before we end the show. Um, so uh, we covered Game 1 already. Game 2 happened, and this was kind of a bloodbath for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they really got going here. Uh, well, not blood. Oh, sorry. That's uh, <laughs> that was game three was a bloodbath. Um, but uh, the, yeah, the start of the start of game two is a bloodbath because Tampa yeah. scored three times in the first period. That, that that is a good way of saying it. <laughs> Thanks for saving me there. Um, the first twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Braden Point, Pallet, 
and Shannon Kirk get uh, three goals um, in the first period or make the Lightning get three goals in the first period. Then you get uh, Joe Pavelski, who... Was this the, like, the weird flippy game where he, like, he flips it over Vasilevsky's head or something? Um, it was one of those goals. Um, and then Matthias Janmark scores in the third period, um, but it wasn't enough, um, and the Lightning win 3-2. Um, the next game was, was definitely a bloodbath. Um, and this was also noted because Steven Samkos made his, made an appearance, um, and he even scored. Um, Nikita Kucherov started things off. Then Stamkos, he had like a breakaway um, and scored. Um, and then Jason Should Dickens. Should also be noted that Stamkos started on the fourth line. So yeah, like, that too. Like, you know Tampa's good when Stamkos is on your fourth line. Yep. Jason Dickinson also scores in the first period to make it 2-1. Uh, Stamkos then like doesn't play again. Um, for the rest of the game, you keep on seeing him, like, apparently NBC kept on showing him, um, in commercial breaks, like, skating on the ice, which I guess technically you're not supposed to do, but I guess they allow, the refs just didn't care or whatever, um, and, um, but, yeah, he just didn't play for the second or third period, um, he may have re-aggravated something that, that's certainly possible, but, um, it did give a spark in the Lightning because then they score with Hedman, Braden Point, and Pallet uh, to make it 5-1. Um, and then this is actually when I start to turn it off uh, because Jake Enninger gets into the third period um, and uh, but Miro Heiskanen scores uh, to make it 5-2 but they just didn't get anything going uh, to make it worth it. Um, yeah, like yeah. that that game three. If you if you wanted to take a look at momentum swings, like this series is that. Like, who can survive the momentum swing? Yeah. Like you look at Tampa Bay, they go up two nothing, and then Jason Dickinson, while the Stars are killing a penalty, scores shorthanded. So like that's potentially a situation where Tampa can go three nothing. Instead, they give up a goal. They end up out shooting Tampa 16 to 8 in the first period. Vasilevsky, very, very solid. And then Tampa gets that early power play goal in the second period, like within the first minute. And they outshot Dallas 21 to 4, scored three times, and Chase Udovin from the net. Yeah. So Tampa was able to survive that wave of momentum swings, take it to Dallas, and then finish the job in the third. I think the shots were like 4 to 3 Dallas in the final frame. Like. There were barely any shots recorded in the final 20 minutes. So uh, that that was just a case of Tampa Bay really taking it to Dallas and just turning the tables in their favor. And um, especially going into a pivotal back-to-back, I think that's par- probably why Bonus decided to pull Udobin. Not that Udobin was playing awful. It's just that games four and five, you need your goalie rested, especially if you're going to turn to him to a pivotal game five. If you lose game four... Um, with your season on the line, you want your best players out there. So I think Bonus was just thinking, and he's just like, you know what? We're probably going to lose this game anyway. Might as well save Udobin for when we need him. Yeah, and, that's. Um, they, they definitely needed him in Game Four. Yep. Uh, game. Uh, you mean Game Three? Uh, game right. Four. Um, Every game. Every yeah, game yeah. moving forward. Yeah. yeah. Uh, game Four. Um. Uh, th- uh, things were going pretty well for the Stars, actually. John Klingberg scores. 
He didn't have his front teeth, which was uh, two front teeth, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, and then Joe Pavelski scores to make it 2 nothing Dallas. Um, then you have uh, Braden Point, who uh, scores uh, late in the first period there. Um, then Braden Point scores again uh, to make it tied. Uh, Corey Perry scores and uh, an appearance from Tyler Sagan on the score sheet here. Uh, he gets an assist. Um, and then, um, as well as Matthias Janmark, but that's exciting that Elise Sagan may not be scoring any goals, but it is cool that he is Elise contributing with the assist stuff. And, um, it's cool that like, uh, Corey Perry and Joe Pavelski are like, those were two free agent acquisitions and we'll talk about it in the next game, especially, but like, uh, it's like, I think like Perry and Pavelski have like really stepped up their game in, in this series. Um, and whereas like all the other guys, uh, who they relied upon haven't really shown up. Uh, I'm talking about Sagan, Ben, um, and Radulov, uh, in particular. Um, so yeah. Um, and then anyways, uh, Yanni Gord scores, uh, to tie things up to end the second, um, then you have Alex Kilhorn scoring, and then Joe Pa, uh, Joe Pavelski, he scores uh, to tie things up late in the, or in the middle of the third. Um, Tyler Sagan also gets another assist there. Um, and then this is where it gets a little crazy, because uh, towards the end, uh, with uh, a minute left, uh, Corey Perry hits Braden Point in the place that you shouldn't hit people in. Um, <laughs> he hit him in the groin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the medical term. Yes, um, and um, and uh, which is uh, Corey Perry did get called for interference, but Braden Point also got called for embellishment, which is pretty crazy because any man who's ever been hit in that area like reacts that way that Braden Point did. Um, it was kind of ridiculous that it was a four on four. Anyways, it's it's also kind of strange to be like I guess this is what they do for embellishment calls, but like it's strange to call a penalty. Yeah, so it's it's strange to call a penalty, um, and of the, of that nature. And um, yeah, so it's like yeah. how would you know? You've never been hit in that area in quite some time, I bet. So like, yeah, how do you, how do you know that I was faking it? Well, yeah, it, it's just it's just like We're it's selling it. It's an acknowledge like just by penalizing Corey Perry, and then penalizing Braden Point for like selling it, it doesn't make sense to me because it's just, it's just like we know it's it's bad, but you're also like it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if it's yeah. that easy, if it's that easy to like embellish that kind of stuff, every time, every time you get hit in the ball, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, every I mean, time you, can you get hit in that in that place, you get automatically two minutes for embellishment. Like yep. that's that's how the rules should work from moving forward. You know. Right. Um, so then, um, so then overtime happens. Um, Mikhail, Mikhail. Speaking of penalties, uh, Sergachev also gets a penalty early on, um, and then uh, five minutes into the overtime, Jamie Ben. Gets a tripping penalty uh, by Tyler Johnson. That one, it was like a fringe penalty, but it, it kind of was like it felt like a makeup call uh, for for the point one. For the point one, yeah. Um, like I, I guess and, that and was also, like and also yeah. for 
the skate and the crease spread at all from 1999. I yeah, of course. I, I'm sure. I'm sure that's <laughs> that's what everyone in Buffalo was thinking for sure. Um, and then um, on that power play, Kevin Shattenkirk scores. Um, I think it's one of those things where it's like if you're going to call penalties in overtime, then you just should be consistent throughout. Cause there were definitely some plays where there were iffy where you're like, wait, that wasn't called, but this is called. Um, so that and, and that was the yeah. argument from Pavelski. It's just like leave it up to the players. Yeah. Just let us play five on five. Just let the players play. But the the thing about this game, in, it was ref by Kelly Sutherland. And remember that Achari call in Game Five against St. Louis that led yeah. to the two nothing goal, the eventual game winner. I don't want to be reminded by it, but yes, <laughs> he was on the ice when that call was made. Yeah. And he was on the ice when a lot of suspect calls. And Patrick Maroon was like, are you effing kidding me, Kelly, with that? Yeah. So, like, there were a lot of calls in that game that were suspects. Yeah. So, I I think maybe at the end of the playoffs, Angel needs to be like, okay, do we put Kelly in these meaningful games anymore? Because for whatever reason, the players don't seem to like him very much. <laughs> or he's just or not going to... calls that he makes... Or that he's not good at his job, but yes, <laughs> that that also you know, works. Like, too. You know, it's 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 sometimes the game passes you by, and you yeah. you, you gotta kind of like reduce the workload a little bit. You know, it it happened yeah. with it happens with broadcasters, it happens with players, and it and it happens with officials. And yep. Kelly Sutherland has been in the game for a long time, but when there are these suspect calls that could determine the outcome of a game. The NHL at some point has got to step in and say, okay, we can't have this keep happening. We got, we got to do something. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, game five. Um, I believe, oh, by the way, before we go to game five, actually, uh, you, you mentioned that whoever won that game will win the series. So I think you're calling the lightning to win the series. Um, anyways, (laughs) so Game five happens, um, and it was another overtime game. Um, Corey Perry uh, leads things off, though, um, and, and scores. Tyler Sagan gets in on there. I guess Corey Perry and Tyler Sagan have become quite the pairing now. Um, and then uh, um, and then in the second period, uh, Andre Palat scores um, and to make things tied. Um, then you have Sergachev scoring and at this point I was thinking like oh okay Tampa just just hand Tampa the the cop but there's there's no way Dallas is going to score because it's like this was a back-to-back and all that stuff but uh of course uh, a couple like 10 minutes later Joe Pavelski scores um and that makes him the uh the leading goal scorer of all U.S. born players um which is pretty impressive um then overtime happens um, so the second overtime game in two straight nights. Um, so I, I bet every player is like hurting right now. Um, this was recorded on a Sunday, so um, yeah. so, but uh, like yeah, just, that's just a lot of hockey. Um, to the point that um, in the first overtime, like Tampa, like Dallas didn't even shoot at all. Um, I think they only had like one shot in the first overtime. Um, then in the second overtime, uh, they did actually look a lot better. Dallas did, um, and, um, and it in turn 
happened that Corey Perry scores. Um, uh, it was like a nice little wraparound move uh, from Perry. Um, it was like a classic Corey Perry goal because it was just right there and there's nothing anyone can do about it. He just scores. Um, and yeah, so... I bet, I bet you the Ducks fans and um, the Rangers fans are just shaking their heads because in back-to-back games, guys who were bought out last off season score OT winners in back-to-back nights. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Um, and also... The, the, like, Perry and Pavelski, they both score goals here. Those are two free agent acquisitions um, this year. So, um, good on Jim Nil for, like, if, if he hadn't signed those guys. And they were pretty cheap deals, too. I mean, um, so they, um, they were, um, so, like, good on him for, for doing that. Um, yeah, and, yeah. So, so that's that. Uh, so now it's, it's three two lightning. There's a game on Mon- uh, There's a game on Monday and a game on Wednesday if necessary. Um, and yeah, so uh, that's uh, that's the Stanley Cup stuff. So what what are your thoughts on on this the the series so far? So at the start of game five. The stars were banged up before they even hit the ice because they were missing the usual guys like Ben Bishop. Um, but they were also missing a handful of bottom six boards that did a lot of good for them on the penalty kill as well. So that put more strain on guys like Jimmy Ben to kill penalties as well. Fortunately for Dallas, Tampa only got a single power play chance, whereas compared to game four, Tampa Bay went three for four with the extra man. And regardless of how not good the penalties they took were, um, giving Tampa Bay four power play chances isn't really good because you know they're probably going to make you pay at least once. Um, so the fact they were pretty disciplined um, and they were able to like rally around each other and just um, stay in the game early on, that, that was great news for them. Um, and just, again, the amount of no-quit that team showed, Pavelski getting the goal to tie things up at two, uh, they keep hanging on after only getting like one or two shots in the first overtime. And then Scory Perry gets a big goal and forces game six. Um, Tampa Bay cannot allow this to go seven games. Um, it's a level playing field at that point. Anything can happen. Anyone can win a game seven. And Dallas played some of their best talking in game five. Udobin was solid once again, fought to the very end. Tampa Bay needs to close the deal. And we saw the same thing in Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals when the Islanders were down 3-1. They find a way to win Game 5, force the Game 6, very close to winning Game 6 in overtime, but Tampa did the job and got it done. They advanced to the Finals, and they need to get it done in Game 6. They gave Dallas the one chance to extend the series. They cannot give them another one. Yeah, I mean, that goes without saying, obviously. I mean, I don't think the Lightning want to make this into a seven-game series. Um, However, I do think that the Lightning will win this uh, finals. It's just a matter of when, um, which game, because they pretty much dominated game five um, Mm -hmm. pretty handily. It was just, like, Kudobin was standing on his head like usual. It was just... um, you know, those are the breaks, I guess. 
Um, but yeah, I think I think the Lightning will win this series. Unfortunately, because I'm rooting for Dallas, but um, but yeah, I think I think it's Tampa to to win here. Um, and, well, that's know, that's the other thing too. Like Tampa Bay, at the end of the day, was still one shot away from sealing this thing up in Game Five. Yeah. Like they did whatever they could. If they just stick to their game plan, they're going to be fine. And I think the best way to take Dallas out of it is again what they've done a couple of times already. Take them out of the game in the first period. Yeah. They need one of those two goal, three goal. Like if you want to score four in the first period, do that. Just take them out of the game early. Don't let them breathe. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think that's that's about it. Do you have any more thoughts on this series? Um, not not really. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if either side won. But again, giving Tampa Bay three chances uh, to finish your season and win the Stanley Cup, um, I think. If it was the other way around and the Stars find a way to win game four, um, I think Dallas could have closed it out in six. Um, yeah. But that that game four um, could turn out to be the turning point in the series, for sure. Yeah, no, that's true. I think um, that could be... I mean, there's still a chance for Dallas. I don't want to say, like, they can't make the comeback. Um like it's you know Tampa has choked before in the playoffs so it is certainly possible but um at the same time it feels like Tampa is just on a different level than Dallas uh for every every for most of the series um so the one thing the one thing that I think Dallas has them beat in is hard it's yeah. just hard and courage with uh, guys like Jimmy Ben and Joe Pabelski and Anton Udoman, the time for those guys to win is right now. And that, that mindset could propel them to greatness. Um, Cause like Tampa, yeah, they might have to part ways with a few guys, but like, they're still going to have a team that's going to contend for the Stanley cup uh, next year. And in the years going forward, just because their star players are committed long-term. Um, with Dallas, it's a bit di- it's a bit more difficult because there are a lot of teams that are on their level, maybe slightly above them in the Western Conference, and you're going to have teams that underperformed in the playoffs this year that will be itching to uh, get to play in the Final Four, the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, like Vegas, like Edmonton. Dallas, I think the time for them to win is right now, and. If, if they're that motivated bunch and they've got a fire lit under them, um, I don't know if Tampa's going to be ready for that. So that's why a big first period is going to be huge for both sides. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, that about does it for us here um, at Lace Them Up. Uh, we have a special episode next week, so that's, that's something yes. to look forward to. Um, yeah, we'll, prob- we'll probably talk a bit about like how the playoffs ended, but mostly we're going to be talking about what's to come in free agency because that's coming up soon, and, and the also draft. the NHL draft too. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's that's pretty fun. Um, yeah, but that's about it for us here. Um, you can catch us on SoundCloud um, or iTunes or um, or Spotify at Lace Them Up. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Uh, that about does it for us here at Lace Them Up. 
I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in a special edition, episode 239 of the Lace Up Podcast.